0: Hello everyone, welcome to our regularly scheduled Saturday broadcast.
1: We're here as usual to answer questions about meditation practice, Buddhist practice, emphasis on practice. So if you
0: have questions that are important to your practice and your development as a
1: Buddhist meditation practitioner on the path to freedom from suffering.
0: Now is the time. Post your questions in the chat. And we'll spend the first 15 minutes in silent meditation. You can take the time to clear your mind walking meditation, sitting meditation you
1: don't know how we practice meditation in this tradition, we have a booklet on how to meditate. You can find it on our website. There's a link at the bottom of the screen.
0: And over the 15 minutes, we'll collect the questions. Just post your questions in chat whenever you have them. And I'll be back at 15 minutes after the hour to begin to answer the questions. All right, we're back. So from here on, we will close the chat to anything
1: except questions. So if you have questions, you can still post them in the chat.
0: We're just going to remove anything that's not a question now. So if you don't have a question, if you've asked your question, don't pay attention to the chat. Just close your eyes, stay mindful, and we'll start answering the questions now. Thank you Bhante, we do have questions? Mindfulness makes you
2: see the reality clearly and I feel the burden lifting when I am mindful. But is it expected that outside it can actually appear to others quite the contrary? That you're more inattentive, unfocused, detached, etc. At the time I put the most into the practice of being mindful in daily life, I often came across as absent for other people. But actually, I felt sober, thanks to noting, "I can't help but think if I'm not doing the practice
0: correctly, or are these kinds of reactions expected? They are expected from people who expect uh,
1: engagement from you. The engagement they're talking about is engagement with concepts, engages with uh, ideas and narratives. And engagement with attachments, aversions, judgments, um, opinions, a lot of these things are just discarded through the practice of mindfulness. You become less interested, less reactionary, and that's what's expected. It's the kind of thing you'd expect from people who aren't very mindful, and who um, are very much invested on the actions of others right anyone who's worried about or reactionary to the way others react has suffering as a result it doesn't matter who you are or whether you're meditating or not the fact that they need you to be some some way and you're not that way is always going to be a cause for suffering that's what you start to see in meditation so you are less interested in how other people act and uh, what what other people do And at the same time, that can be upsetting for people who uh, invest a lot of of their happiness and their peace in such a a terrible place to invest your energy and to uh, depend upon. Because, of course, other people are unpredictable. So the fact that they depend on you to be this way or that way and complain about it is just a part of their suffering due to their dependency so yeah that's what that's what's going to happen when you're around people who have that sort of dependency and need you to be a certain way and their happiness depends on how you make them happy by doing what they expect you to do and acting the way they expect you to act and reacting the way they expect you to react that's always going to be the case and so. One thing that happens
0: through meditation is you incline away from uh, social engagements and uh, passing friendships. You tend to gravitate towards those who are
1: wise and mindful and whose happiness doesn't depend on you and
0: your attention to them. Given that the values and laws around property
2: rights and sexuality differ depending on your location and time period are the second and third precepts relative to where you live
1: No they don't have anything to do with law they have very specific principles maybe the third precept to some extent I mean not not the the basic the basis of it but some of the issues around protection um, might differ a little bit, but not to any major degree. So the third precept you can understand as hurting someone or breaking
0: some kind of uh, some kind of uh, relationship, uh, tam- tam- or
1: interfering with a relationship through adultery, that sort of thing.
0: Betraying trust through sexuality or romance but property rights are it's pretty specific pretty clear in the in the rules what it actually refers to it's quite simple when you experience physical pain during meditation should you focus on acknowledging it staying in the posture focus rather on breath Or remember that pain is temporary. I don't know if you've read our booklet, uh, but I'm pretty sure it explains
1: what to do. You should note it. Say to yourself, pain, pain until it goes away. After a long time, if it doesn't go away, you can go back to the stomach rising and falling. We don't focus on the breath explicitly. We focus on the stomach, which relates to the breath, but it's a little bit different. It's actually the tension. It's a, the the yodha to the tension element in the stomach. Um, as far as remembering that pain is temporary, that's not the practice. That will only come as a result of being of the practice. And so, if you're purposefully reminding
0: yourself, that's not actually meditation. That's just intellectual. It would be used as a means of reassuring yourself so that you can. You don't have to experience the disliking, but that's not
1: mindfulness. Mindfulness isn't doesn't try to solve disliking of pain in that way. It tries to solve disliking of pain by seeing how stressful the disliking is, by seeing how the pain is not worth clinging to, not worth reacting to, not worth getting upset about, by seeing
0: clearly. For, by seeing that, it's temporary. Not just reminding yourself. Would you advise doing intensive meditation at home before having the opportunity
2: to attend a formal retreat? I
1: wouldn't advise that. I mean literally, if you like to literally take the meaning of your sentence, I would not go to someone and say I advise you to do intensive meditation. But that doesn't mean I would advise against it. I think it's a good idea if if someone decides to do it if someone asked me if it was okay or what i thought of them doing it i would say go for it if you're keen on doing it but um, it's not not what i advise uh, <laughs> that, when i say that it sounds like oh no he says i shouldn't do it and absolutely not if you're if you think hey i should do the i'd like to do some intensive meditation i would say go for it but i wouldn't go out of my way to advise people of that what i so so because it's not there is a specific thing that i do advise and that's daily meditation simply because i think that's more practical for a lot of people for most people or that's something i can expect the majority of people to do whereas intensive meditation is something that i wouldn't expect the majority of people to be able to do and so i wouldn't go out of my way to advise it that's all i wouldn't say i wouldn't unless a person had a lot of time, and was asking what I thought of it. I would say, yeah, go for it. So I hope that that's clear. But but regular med- daily meditation, like an hour a day at least. Trying, I would say, you know, try to get to two if you feel comfortable doing that. Doing two hours a day, that's uh, much more in line with what I would recommend. Simply because, again, it's more reasonable for most people. And I don't know most people's situation, so just seems like a
0: good general advice that's applicable to the most people i have avoidance of happiness
2: i've heard you say happiness is good and some practices cause happy feelings are those practices good happiness is
1: not well it's hard to say happiness isn't really good actually i mean i guess the best thing, the, the clearest thing, and the most correct thing to say about happiness is, no, it's happiness is not good. There are ways you can understand happiness to be good, um, but more accurately you should say that happiness is the result
0: of goodness. So that which is good leads to happiness. That's kind of how you define goodness. And then of course
1: you have to define happiness because there's different ways of understanding it on different levels. like. Is pleasure actually happiness? Is a happy feeling actually happiness? On a philosophical level, it's not actually like from a Buddhist perspective, it's it's not. It's unsatisfying. But that's not really your question. Uh, so your question about practices that cause happy feelings. So yeah, um, if a practice, hmm, no, if a practice causes happy feelings, that still doesn't make it good. Uh, that. Mm, this is complicated so on a technical level the moment um of of goodness will lead to happiness but it's more complicated than that because you can indulge in in your craving like as a drug addict for example and gain pleasurable sensations so you could say the action that led to that is not wholesome so it's it's quite a bit more complicated what i would say is the reason you're able to feel happy feelings at all or pleasurable feelings at all generally has to do with goodness and it's the goodness of being born as a human being its goodness from past lives it's it's complicated but um you should maybe refocus your 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 thinking and be more concerned with a different kind of happiness and that's peace or freedom, uh, independence, and equanimity. Equanimity meaning uh, not reacting to things, not not having your, your peace had depend on, not having your happiness depend on what arises. So the practice that leads to that is going to be most valuable. The practice that leads to a happiness that is deeper than quote-unquote happy feelings. Happy feelings are temporary. They're not really happiness on a meaningful level. As for having the avoidance of happiness, I'm not sure what that means, but if you're averse to something or worried about something, uh, dislike something, then that's disliking and you should
0: note it. So make sure you don't ignore that or forget to note that. What are the different results one can expect from practicing your technique as opposed to anapanasati? Well, the word
1: anapanasati is mindfulness of the in and out breaths. And so you could call what we do in an anapanasati. Because, of course, there are different ways to practice that. So you'd have to be a little more specific. Um, but like... There are differences in practicing vipassana from practicing samatha. Samatha meditation can never lead to wisdom. That's just why it's called samatha. Uh, vipassana meditation leads to wisdom. So that would be more of a categorization than saying our practice versus anapanasati because it's kind of, well, there's an overlap or it's, it's not really clear that they're two different things. So if you're talking about some specific practice of anapanasati, then I could maybe comment better. but. I mean, you don't really need to wait for that. You can understand, you just have to understand whether a practice is samatha or whether it's vipassana. And the easy way to understand whether it's samatha or vipassana is whether it takes ultimate reality as an object. So anapanasati can be conceptual in terms of in-breaths and out-breaths, because there's not really anything going in or out. And if that's your focus, it can become quite subtle and conceptual. If your focus is on the the actual sensations in the body, the elements of heat and cold and tension and
0: flaccidity, and that's uh, that's vipassana. Harder for me to generate metta
2: in social settings, at office, for example, than after an individual
0: meditation session. How to be more wholesome outside the home? Well, practice. I mean, that's the whole, the whole point of this, right? You become more wholesome, your mind will be more
1: pure, you'll have greater clarity and be less reactionary. So there's no mystery. I mean, that's really basically what we're teaching. So I don't know if you've read our booklet or if you're doing our meditation practice. I don't know if you've done our at-home meditation course. That's a great place to start. Or you have come to do an intensive course at our center, but
0: really mindfulness is the best way to be a more wholesome and kind person. In meditation, I
2: used to silently say compassion and loving-kindness. Now I only say rising and falling and keep the mind at the foot. Will these also cultivate compassion and loving-kindness? So yeah, I was going to say also about
1: this applies to the previous question as well. Um, my um, loving kindness and compassion aren't really the goal, so you really shouldn't obsess too much about them. They, for them to arise, they require or to let's say for them to really be fruitful and and um, to come from the heart, they have to come from a place of purity, and that's what mindfulness allows. So. The answer is is not quite yes because they will not cultivate those but they will allow the cultivation to be more heartfelt more sincere more pure right you know how you can you can force yourself to be or you can you can put on on a sort of a forceful kindness or forceful compassion to to kind of cover up any kind of anger or cruelty you might have but it's it, it doesn't really feel sincere and it's not very strong it's not very pure so you have to think of it as a little bit different and and kind of let go of the uh, obsession with like the last person said generating loving kindness well don't worry about generating loving kindness worry about the anger that you're concerned about right if you have anger and you think oh my problem is i don't have enough loving kindness no the problem is anger The problem is you don't understand the anger, you don't understand the object that you're angry about. And if you understood them both, you wouldn't get angry in the first place. So metta and karuna can be helpful for that. They can be a support for that, but I wouldn't rely on them or think of them as sort of the goal. You're much better off to focus on what allows them to grow, what allows all good things, including those two. There's many other good things, but to allow them all to grow is the purity of mind, the clarity of mind, the
0: independence, the mind that is free. I have observed wanting to be a thought that arises in the sense of imagination. Am I seeing it clearly? Um. No, wanting is just wanting. I wouldn't try to read too much into it or make too much out of it.
1: Wanting is just wanting thoughts or thoughts. They're not exactly the same. They're very quick and, and often related, but they are different. You can have thoughts and and wanting arises from the thought, or
0: you can have thoughts and wanting won't arise from the thought. So they're two different things. I'm noting each sensation, but often
2: I get distracted. I've been told to note thinking when I find this happening, but I don't catch it very fast. Will this become easier with practice?
1: It's yeah, you'll you'll through practice you'll catch it quicker. But that's fine. Don't be discouraged. Whenever you notice that you were thinking, just say thinking. If you're thinking a lot, if you say you get distracted, then you should note you're distracted, like your mind is not focused. Just say distracted, distracted, or restless or something like that. But you can yeah, you can note after you realize that you've been thinking. Sometimes you catch it at the end of the thought, sometimes you catch it in the middle of the thought sometimes if you, you're if you're quick and if you've
0: been practicing for a while you can even catch it at the very beginning when you first start to think at times i become focused enough and only the breath remains i keep
2: noting the rising and falling and i eventually lose focus and thoughts come back
0: any advice on how to progress past that point? So progress really just comes from an increased clarity.
1: It sounds like you might not clearly understand what's happening and the importance of of. You know, where the importance of what's happening lies the importance of what you're describing is in the impermanence the suffering and the non-self so impermanence is that it's unpredictable suffering means it's unsatisfying it's not the way you want it to be or your expectations are not always met and the non-self is that that you can't control these you can't control it you can't force it to be to stay with the rising and falling it's not you it's not yours it's not under your control and also it's uns- insubstantial so the the being focused is is not as substantial as you think it is it's not you you can't control it and so if you're thinking how do i stay focused or how do i control the focus then you've got the wrong uh, attitude but what you're seeing is kind of showing you something that's unexpected and that's that These things that you thought you could control, that you thought were yours, that you thought were stable, that you thought were satisfying are are none of those. And so by continuously seeing this and by changing your attitude and becoming familiar with the reality that things that arise are impermanent suffering and non-self, even these focused states that you identify as good, probably, even they are not worth clinging to
0: then you'll start to, to progress that's that's a sign that's the real progress i'm starting to notice that
2: things are just happening and i have no control but i have this habit of trying to
0: believe i can which causes frustration do i just need to see it over and over before The habit of trying to believe you
1: can is sounds like, I mean, uh, try and be a little bit clearer about how you phrase that. Wanting to, perhaps, you want to control. Trying to believe you can sounds a lot like wanting. And wanting when you can't control is frustrating. That's the whole problem with wanting. So yeah, you're just not wanting and frustrated. I don't. You don't mention noting those things, so I have to ask whether you have been. Noting the desire to control and the frustration that you can't control; those two are very important to note. They're hindrances. They'll get in your way. They'll prevent you from seeing clearly. So, yes, I mean, just note everything else, but note those as well. And yes, just seeing all of this over and over again is uh,
0: what leads to letting go. It's what leads to get tired of clinging, tired of reacting, tired of getting frustrated.
2: sometimes i'm in certain mind states and notice that my mind is drifting a lot do i just note that it is it possible to note in these states is the suffering i'm feeling basically the result of attaching to things
0: i continually notice this hunger in the mind but when i get the object it doesn't satisfy that's a lot of there's a lot in this question i'm not quite sure exactly what you're asking so let's
1: go through it. Certain mind states, and I note them. My mind is drifting a lot. So yeah, just note drifting. Once you notice that, you see, you see how you say notice. Well, at that moment when you notice, that's when you obviously can say to yourself, distracted or drifting. That doesn't mean it's going to stop, but seeing it again and again will uh, will disincline you towards it, towards getting excited about it, which leads to the drifting. Um, it will also wake you up. Sometimes people drift because they're drowsy and so it'll give you more energy and
0: keep you more alert. It's just a training in those regards. Suffering, I'm feeling. And you know, talk about suffering, which I don't know how that relates to the last
1: part. Suffering, I'm feeling, basic, basically the result of attaching to things. You know, The answer should be yes, right? But it doesn't really matter. The real interest is in the suffering and taking it as an object of mindfulness. Suffering comes from reacting to things, from getting upset about things, from clinging to things, wanting things to be a certain way. I mean, you just have to see all of that. So if you're attached, just try and become more familiar with the attachment. If you're suffering, try and become more familiar with the suffering. That's all we're really looking for is familiarity. You can answer that question for yourself. What is the cause of suffering? I continually notice this hunger in my mind when I get the object It doesn't satisfy. Hey, that's wisdom for you. So see that enough and your mind will get the point and become less hungry.
0: As you see that the hunger is just more cause for more suffering. And the objects that you hunger for are not worth hungering for. Could you please make the case for why only meditation matters, please? I have a lot of time and feel I'm close to make the full commitment to that as I contemplate the inevitability of death. Well, that's not really how this works. Um, I, I mean, I think you have to see
1: that for yourself. Like, like, if I were to make the case for you, it would be... Trying to shortcut or bypass your wisdom, your development of wisdom. Right? If you want to do other things than meditate or are interested in other things other than meditate, then the real practice is to be mindful of those and become more familiar with them and try and see and understand why they are, in fact, uh, unimportant or how important they are. Because there are some things that I would say are are somewhat important. Meditation isn't the only thing that matters. So it's actually not true that meditation is the only thing that matters. There's other things like ethics and uh, even goodness, things like charity and kindness. These things matter. You just might say they don't matter as much as mindfulness. So you have a lot of time. feel like you're close to making the full commitment. Yeah, I don't think the answer is having someone tell you why meditation is all you need to do. I think the important thing is for you to identify those things that are stopping you from making a full commitment to meditation practice and try and be mindful of them as well. It sounds great what you're describing. You probably have a lot of time to meditate. and. I assume you are doing a substantial amount of meditation so just make sure you apply it to those things and that will give you greater confidence in what's most important
0: and what's not as important how does one deal with rejection in friendships or platonic
2: relationships putting oneself in a vulnerable position just to be rejected hurts
0: and aggravates the ego big time. There's not much to say there. I
1: mean, you're seeing it. You're seeing the cause of suffering. I think one misunderstanding that comes up is the idea that um, there's something valuable about the putting yourself in a vulnerable position. I mean, the real key is that uh, you're suffering because of your your expectations you are looking for something you are wanting for something because of your desire when we talk about friendships while you desire for some kind of intimacy
0: even in friendship and platonic relationships so you become independent how do you deal with it you
1: change your attitude you you also change your perspective so you change your attitude in terms of not needing friendships not needing anything doesn't mean you don't have friendships but you don't need them and inter your, your attitude in terms of um requiring specific people so you prefer certain people or you or you prefer certain experiences and your perspective Relates to the difference between people and and experiences. And you stop actually looking at people as people and start experiencing seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking. So you pay less attention to actual individual people who don't really exist. And you pay more attention to the actual experience of interacting with a person. It makes you far more flexible, far more content, far more uh, agreeable and friendly and far more happy because you don't need certain people to make you happy so relationships kind of get thrown out the window there's no such thing it's just a concept you say i have a relationship with this person and you can acknowledge that but but it doesn't really mean anything all that's really meaningful is the experiences you're having in the present moment and if you see it if you have that perspective then you'll never really be disappointed or have any sense of rejection. The idea of someone rejecting you or someone accepting you just means it it, it boils down to different experiences. That's it. Oh, this person rejected me, so now I have these experiences. This person accepted me, so now I have these experiences. And in the end, there's no
0: categorical or, or meaningful difference. They're still just experiences. I've started to notice the
2: proliferation of desires in daily life and that pursuing them is ultimately unsatisfying,
0: but I also notice an absence of joy. Is this to be noted as sadness or dislike? Well, joy, joy can be absent for a lot of reasons.
1: Meditation shouldn't lead to an absence of joy. It will lead to an absence of,
0: um, what's the word? Uh, sort of the immediate um,
1: pleasure-seeking, right? So there will be some types of joy that will be put on hold, but a lot of the absence of joy that comes from meditation is simply withdrawal from those things, from those things that we desire. We're used to uh, getting what we want, and when you can't get what you want, there's a lot of suffering from withdrawal, and that can be unpleasant at first. Uh, it can lead to an absence of joy, but but a person who practices meditation, a person who is truly mindful, does give rise to joy. Even the Buddha gave rise to joy. There's no there's no sense that there is no joy for one who practices
0: uh, who who practices rightly, but. Um, the need for joy will lead to sadness or disliking so that should be noted in that way you mentioned to me don't focus so much on the pleasure focus on the practice and being mindful in pleasure why is that I'm not sure what you're referring to, but um it doesn't make sense what you're saying
1: unless you mean don't focus so much on attaining pleasure. As I would tell you that don't focus so much on attaining pleasure, but your second part says that I said focus on being mindful uh, in pleasure. Well, you should be mindful of the pleasure. But then you say focus on the practice. I mean the practice is being mindful, that's the same thing. So I mean, let's rearrange this. Let's forget about whatever I may have told you and say, when you feel pleasure, you should be mindful of the pleasure. You should also be mindful of liking because there can be a lot of liking of the pleasure. Um, So the only thing I would say don't focus on is don't focus on trying to attain pleasure. Um, It sounds to me like you're probably liking the pleasure And I may have said something that made you think that I was discouraging you from having pleasure, but it's much more about the trap that you may have fallen into. It's likely, my guess is that it's more likely you've fallen into the trap of liking the pleasure. And so you're encouraging it and you're trying to attain it, dwelling in it, and you start to uh, cultivate your practice around, you know, orient your practice around it. So practicing in such a way as to bring the most pleasure. And that can lead to a lot of problems where you start to avoid things, ignore things, practice only at certain times, in certain situations. And all of this is antithetical to the goal, which is to become more flexible, less less reliant, less dependent on things like pleasure. So liking the pleasure is going to cause problems in that way. So the best, really the only thing you need to concern yourself is when you do feel pleasure, Note the pleasure, happy or pleasure, and when you like it, say liking, liking. But try and note the pleasure until it goes away. Try and stay with it. If you do that over time, you'll start to lose interest in it. Your your desire for it will start to wane. You'll find that it's much
0: more peaceful to just experience things without the need for pleasure. How much can an intensive meditation course help you? And what ways do you say it does this? Well, an intensive meditation course
1: means that there is less opportunity for the arising of unwholesomeness. It's kind of like keeping the kettle on the stove until it boils. So if you keep taking it off, it's going to cool down again. Um, if you turn off the heat it's going to keep cooling down and you'll, it'll never boil it's more complicated than that right there's a lot of issues with with um, living without mindfulness and so if you're practicing intensively you avoid a lot of the issues that come not just it's not just taking the the water off the stove it's it's kind of akin to putting more cold water in or replacing some of the hot water with cold water or um draining the you know there's it's complicated life is complicated and there's lots of twists and turns and problems and monkey wrenches that are going to get thrown in a lot of a lot of issues that will complicate your practice if you're trying to be mindful so, only some of the time so of course the obvious thing is intensive practice is more but it goes beyond that. Intensive practice has a power to it. There's also the sense that you have that has a power to it, the sense I'm doing intensive practice, which keeps your mind focused. I'm at a meditation center. I'm keeping the eight precepts. Of course, just keeping the eight precepts is going to have a great support. So speaking specifically about intensive meditation, that's some of the reasons why it's more helpful and why and and how much it can help you and that is to say a lot more, um, but but how how does it help you or how does meditation in general help you especially intensive practice? It allows you to see clearly. You see the three characteristics, which means you see that the things you thought were sa- were stable are not stable, things you thought were satisfying are not satisfying, and things you thought were substantial or under your control or belong to you are none of those things in brief the things that you thought were were worth clinging to are not worth clinging to which is really to say everything and as a result the mind lets go so what is the true benefit and how can it truly help you it helps you by by leading you to let go when you let go your perspective changes you no longer get angry you no longer have greed you no longer need or want for things You no longer have wrong views or views at all no longer have sense of ego or conceit or concern about self-esteem or anything like that you don't have any worry about what other people think of you anything like that not worried about what might happen to you not thinking about the past or future you live your life in the way that we often think that we do live our lives We think we live our lives without much trouble, sometimes, unless we're in trouble, real obvious glaring trouble. We don't see that we're in any sort of trouble, and so we think, oh, I'm just living my life. But then why do we still suffer? That's the
0: only problem. An enlightened being doesn't suffer. They live their life, and they're truly peaceful. How do you know the difference? between cessation and micro-sleep. Cessation
1: comes from letting go. What we talk about as cessation is a direct result, the the the, the aftermath of the letting go or the, the next moment after letting go. So the real difference is going to be there. If you want to be reassured that or understand the difference, you can notice that before it happened there was some kind of realization of generally the three characteristics one or another of the three characteristics you'll see impermanence very clearly just to to the supreme level just ultimate clarity and have an have an ultimate resonance like nothing is worth
0: clinging to of impermanence or suffering or non-self and then there will be cessation right after that How can I stop caring about what
2: other people think of me? A couple of people I encounter on a daily basis judge me and make fun of me because I'm a Buddhist and celibate and they view me as a
0: loser. Well, one good thing is a change of perspective.
1: Um, People say you're worthless. Uh, It's hard because our perspective is often trying to find self-worth, right? Buddhism isn't really like that. With Buddhism, we are worthless. We consider ourselves worthless. And there's nothing worthwhile about any of us. I mean, it's not even, it. it it's not a negative thing in terms of being of little worth or of, of poor value. It's having absolutely zero value or worth. There's no value or worth to anything. I was going to say something about loser that was kind of funny because you can think of that, uh, Think of yourself as a loser in terms of uh, you're going to lose all your attachments. And Maybe it wasn't that funny, but um, you know, there's just different ways you can look at these things and try and gain a better perspective. I mean, ultimately, the, the answer is, of course, mindfulness through the practice of mindfulness. You, I mean, as I just said with the last answer, you're going to care less about what people people think about you. You're going to have less interest in self-esteem or anything like that.
0: Be less concerned with. Uh, with experiences or with self-image, and yeah, that, that that's going to be the ultimate practice that leads
1: there. But in the meantime, try and uh, try and get a better understanding of why that is, and uh, sort of a better worldly perspective. As I said, of acknowledging that yeah, I'm worthless, but so are you. None of this stuff that we think is worthwhile is of any worth. Beauty, money, power, they don't really have any meaning. Mindfulness will help you see that, but you can also sort of take it intellectually as a good view to have to start out with. Nothing's worth clinging to, not even yourself
0: or, or the opinions of others. Do you have any advice on how to use meditation to
2: absorb teachings more deeply from the Buddha's parables? I love reading these stories and teachings, but want to ingrain them deeper than just reading.
1: Sounds like you might have an attachment of sorts, so kind of be aware of that and be wary of the liking and the loving and the wanting.
0: Um, because what you're experiencing most likely it sounds like is the limitations of these things, they,
1: they feel good, but they're really just they're akin to ointment. There are two types of medicine: there are medicines that you rub on the body, and there are medicines that you ingest and Rubbing medicine is usually i mean traditionally rubbing medicine just makes you feel better, like a tiger bomb this 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 quote uh, this is a quote or a paraphrase because. In Thailand, it makes more sense, because they have a lot of rubbing medicine that's not very medicinal, it just makes you feel good. Like we have, I think it's called Bengay. Bengay, I don't know what it's called, ben, yeah, I think it's Bengay, this stuff that you rub, and it makes you, it makes your, your your muscles, if you have muscle pain, it uh, makes you feel better. But it can't cure sicknesses. So there's different kind of traditional medicines that you eat. And they actually have some some healing effect, some curing effect, curative. So spiritually, there are those two kinds of practices as well. One that one the ones that make you feel better, and that's valuable. Chanting, studying, I mean, studying has other values as far as uh, giving you information. But from what you're describing, it's more of uh, the encouragement and the confidence and the appreciation and the reverence for the Buddha and for good things in general, those are all good things, but they have limitations. They're much more like ointment than they are medicine. So the answer is to try and do something as well, a little more substantial,
0: like practicing mindfulness. Sometimes when I have a lot of sexual desire, my mindfulness is not deep. And sometimes
2: after I have had sexual satisfaction, I have had my deepest meditations. Are you sure celibacy is the way to go? Well,
1: mindfulness, first of all, doesn't ever have to be deep. Um, but mindfulness for things like this sexual desire is, of course, one of the the most um, important Battles you have to wage, and by avoiding it, you're not going to get rid of it. So I maybe mean, by by avoiding that that battle by indulging, you're going to avoid you know you avoid having to deal with it because then the sexual desire is gone for some time. But you it's, you're you're it's that that does nothing but fuel the attachment and lead to more the next time more desire. So
0: the the solution is never going to be to uh, indulge
1: the only reason you're you're describing having um, perhaps deeper practice is because it's easier because you don't have to deal with this very challenging and difficult um confrontation not exactly a battle you don't have to fight with it but you have to observe and pay attention it's a tough one sexual desires, uh, you know, the Buddha, when the Bodhisatta, when he was on the throne, one of the things they describe, whether whether it's what really happened or not, is
0: the three daughters of Mara came, and they were uh, lust and desire. They
1: are very very challenging confrontation that you have to face. The solution isn't to try to find a deeper practice it's going to be a struggle the solution is to face and be patient and be adamant yes i want this thing that's just wanting oh i want it again that's also just wanting i want it again but i really want it that's still just wanting it's uh, it's something that can take lifetimes the Buddha made specific uh used specific language about desire because it's something that you have to gradually wean yourself off of. But indulgence isn't going to wean you off of it. I mean there's no benefit, there's there's no um there's no attenuation of desire as a result of indulgence. That that's just
0: not how addiction works. All it does is reinforce the addiction and make it harder and harder to let go. I we've crossed the hour. and We still have five questions in Tier 1. Do you have the time to answer more? Got it. Five more. Yes. How to determine the proper level of abstraction when noting? If I reach for a drink
2: because I'm thirsty, I could note wanting or reaching or touching, randomly, most salient, what principle?
1: Whichever's clearest, there's no magic um, answer that's going to be the right way. It's not magic, you know, it's not like there's some magic combination that, that's going to unlock something. You're just trying to learn and and gain better
0: clarity. So it's going to be messy. It's going to be inexact. And you just have to get a hang of it yourself. Try and note and you'll start to get the hang of it. So all of those are fine. You also don't have to note everything. Like uh, one mistake people make is think you have to note every
1: aspect. You don't. It's not. If you note one thing, well, you'll notice a lot of things, and that noticing comes as a result of noting. When you note some things, you'll notice
0: you'll notice everything. That's the idea. Should our meditation practice be more directed towards staying concentrated on the
2: present regardless of what arises, or should it more to understand the mental
0: and physical phenomena that arise? Well, you don't have to put any,
1: any real concentration uh, towards the present, but that's, that's a better... Way of looking at it, you should be directed towards the present, regardless of what arises. So this this idea that you might be foc- you might instead focus on understanding is is that's a that's a misunderstanding because understanding comes through staying mindful or, or directing the mind towards the present moment. If you are do any trying to cultivate understanding, you're just going to miss the point. You're you're never going to truly understand. So never you should never focus on trying to understand anything. Just focus on seeing the understanding will come by itself, and it's likely not to be the understanding you thought would arise. It's not going to be anything like you thought because well you didn't understand before if you underst- if 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 it was like
0: you already expected, then that would mean you already understood. What pitfalls are there to the practice for those who are returning to your mantra meditation after a
2: couple of years? Well, the pitfalls for such
1: a person who I assume is perhaps practicing a different type of meditation, I mean, let's put it two ways. If the person was practicing a different type of meditation, then the pitfall is always going to be trying to move from one technique to another. That's just how the mind works. You get used to doing one thing. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's not exactly a pitfall. It's just going to be a challenge in the beginning and something to be patient with and it will be a a obstacle or, or a something that holds you back right it makes your progress slower at first so you just have to be patient with that and for someone who hasn't practiced at all well the obstacles will be lack of lack of skill but they'll be even worse because you'll have lack of any kind of focus or concentration
0: i wouldn't use the word pitfalls There's not really any pitfalls. Just going to make it harder. Because
1: you just compare these people to someone who'd been doing it regularly for a couple of years and they're a lot better off. That's the only difference. They're much better at it. So the person who hasn't is
0: not going to be as good at it and is going to have to work at getting better. That's all. Nothing special. When imagining something, Should we
2: note thinking or seeing? Are a thought and the perception of it two different things?
1: If you see, you should note seeing. If it's a thought,
0: you note thinking. But if you see something in the mind, that should always be seeing. uh, seeing, It should never be thinking. In meditation, do you need to try and maximize
2: your degree of focus on the object? And try to be with the object as long as possible? No. No, just do the noting and that's
1: it. Everything else will come to you. You'll start to get the hang of it yourself. Keep it simple. Don't try to do anything. And just try and see and learn and let it come to you. You'll get a sense of, you'll get the hang of it. As soon as you start to try and do this or try and do that, it's caught up in so many things, greed, control. Self, ego, uh, lots of things that are just just harmful. Keep it simple. Reality is simple, and the only problem is how complicated we make it. How we complicate
0: things, make more out of things than they actually are. So no need to do that. So that's every question in the top tier. Thank you for giving extra time.
1: Oh, thank you for your help. Chris, edit. Thank you everyone for
0: your good questions. Have a good week, everyone. Peace, happiness, freedom from suffering. Sadhu. Saadhu.